Hey everyone, Tyson Moore here. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Let me begin by saying that I am so grateful for all of the support and encouragement I received since launching this podcast adventure last month. I've heard from people all over the world who are tuning in, and I'm so grateful for your encouragement and continued prayers and look forward to seeing what the Lord's going to do through this. Just as a reminder, I started this podcast to be a platform for me to connect my faith with my craft and engage makers within our community with Christian conversation. Episodes may vary in style, topic, format, and length each time, but the goal will stay the same, and that's to bring you content that will encourage biblical thinking in the midst of your making. Today's conversation follows no specific topic, but will fit into a series that I'll call Maker Stories, and there'll be really cool opportunities for us to get inside someone else's shoes, be challenged by someone else's story. So even while working in our shops or riding in our cars, we'll be able to travel to different places and hear from other makers. And today, I'm excited to tell you we're going all the way to Northern Ireland and talking with Matthew Lovell from Tender Lovell Care. Let me just say Matthew is one really awesome dude and so much fun. If you follow Matthew's work, you know exactly what I mean. You'll hear about his awesome Kahongo box drums, beautifully crafted candle holders, his travel hippo, his faith, his joy. But you'll also hear a story of great loss and tragedy and catch a glimpse into the source of his joy and the assurance of his hope. All right, Matthew, good to have you here on the Think Make podcast, episode number two. This is a special Thanksgiving edition, and what better way to kick off the Thanksgiving holiday than to uh, talk with somebody from the UK who doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's an honor and a pleasure to be with you, man. Honestly, it really is. Good, man. We're, we're excited to, to have you here. So um, just as way of introductions, um, I got to know you a little bit on Instagram. I don't know how long ago that was. It was probably back in the spring. Uh, I was building a box drum, the Cajon, around the same time that you were building your first one. And so we got connected online. Uh, Who was that that brought us together? Yeah, that was Stephen Machuca, the wood pastor. There you go. Yeah, and that was awesome. I remember um, reaching out to Stephen um, on a couple of posts and uh, finding out he was Christian. We started talking. And uh, yeah, he put us in touch, and that's been a real blessing. It's man, been really good. What a what an honor, man, to know you. Well, I'm I'm really happy to have you on here today. Um, just for anybody that may not know who you are or what you do, would you just mind giving us a little bit of introduction? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I work in a, a building suppliers. Um, I'm a shop assistant. Uh, I have a degree in graphic design. Um, I'm a single fella. Um, I stay with my parents. Um, and I like woodworking. That's awesome. Well, how did you get started into that? How did you get started into woodworking? And I guess it started with my dad. My dad, when he was younger, was a bricklayer by trade. And when I was a kid, that's what he was doing. And so he would take me to work with him. And that was kind of my introduction to working my hands and stuff. And that's where it started, the fact that I could work with my hands. And then the woodworking itself, when we moved to Northern Ireland in 2010, we'd been here for a couple of weeks and I made a bird table slash feeder for my mum. That was just a simple little thing, but it was nice to do something that she enjoyed. It was she wanted something just outside the window where she could see the birds feeding, you know, so she was really pleased with that. And then over in Scotland we didn't have a wood burning stove, but in Northern Ireland we did. So then we had a, a need to have stocks of wood. We needed to keep logs and pallets and things. So I made this this we made two big wood bunkers. I mean they're not 
incredible, but they they work and they're still standing. So that's quite something. The kind of the woodworking project that got me was uh, restoring an old hammer that my dad gave me when I was 12. And um, I put a new shaft on that thing and something happened when I did that. And that was kind of what got me going, going in the woodwork. Man, that is awesome. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are. Right. Okay. Um, well, both my parents are English. My dad's from London, uh, East End London. So he talks a bit like that, mate. And then <laughs> mom's from Manchester, um, which is in the north of England. But me and my two sisters, we were born and raised in Scotland, in the, right in the northeast of Scotland, uh, a small town called Peterhead or uh, Peterhead, as the locals call it. So that's where I was born and raised. I spent my time. It's a bit of a longer story how we got to Northern Ireland. Mum and dad really felt that God was leading them to, to come over here. Um, they had a ministry in Scotland. They were very busy in Scotland. There was a lot going on. Um, but God made it really clear to them that they were to move to Northern Ireland. And so I came with the family over to Northern Ireland. And that is that's coming on seven years now. Man, that is awesome. Tell me about Travel Hippo. What is Travel Hippo <laughs> and how did Travel Hippo come into the scene here? Yeah, okay. Um, somebody asked me this recently, actually. So yeah, um, Travel Hippo came into being, if you like, um, last Christmas. And my sister who has had a baby this year. I have a nephew. I am All now right. an uncle, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> to little Ezra. Um, but she worked in a chiropractor's. And I got on really well with her boss. He goes to the same church as my sister in the States there in Baton Rouge. And uh, I get on really well with him. He's a woodworker. Got to know his children really well. And so for Christmas, they gave me Travel Hippo. But there was, or oh, there is a girl that I got on really well with. And she has a Travel Frog. And so I really liked the uh, notion of Travel Frog having a friend. So Travel Hippo was born. And uh, that's that's kind of how we came into being. What he is now, though, I just really like the extra element of fun in Absolutely. the post. When you do a story, Travel Hippo can approve or disapprove or do something. When you have an actual post, Travel Hippo is just in there with a smile. You know, it's just a bit of fun. <laughs> it I like. is. I like him. I love it. I haven't got a shop dog, so he'll have to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. What's your favorite thing to build and maybe why? I guess if I was to pick one thing at the moment, it's the Kahongos, um, because they've been such a massive learning curve. I've learned so much with building them. And then obviously, because there's a bit of a tension with them, they're new. They were, uh, it's the first time, I guess, I've had a, a spark in my brain of something that could be, and then suddenly it exists. It's a real thing, you know, and it actually works. And, you know, the first time I made that triangular bongo and it, man, it seems actually a drum, <laughs> you know, like it's so exciting, <laughs> you know, and like it is incredible. And now I've sold some like, so yeah, they are hard. They're time consuming. Yes. You know, sometimes my favorite thing is just to make a candle holder out of a pallet block because right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just quick and easy, I mean, you know, but at the same time. So yeah, a kahongo at the moment is, is special, but I'll never lose that. Oh man, that it's a precious thing to take that that uh, sledgehammer and reshaft it or or that shovel and reshaft it or take that that light and solder the connections back together stronger man like it's that really blesses me That's you know, awesome. i love restoring any tools or making something out of palette with, but i guess if i had to pick just one thing at the moment it, those kahongos have been a real learning curve and a blessing in that way let me ask you about mistakes maybe that you've made in your craft and maybe in your woodworking that um, that you maybe have learned any lessons from in particular that you would like to share? I absolutely confess I've made a lot of mistakes. But I try not to remember them, which is not... <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's, not <laughs> it's probably not the best way to go forward. You should remember your mistakes and learn from them. Um, and I guess I learned from them. But like, I guess a huge thing is 
preparing your moves before you, you actually go ahead with them. I found that to be so helpful, and that's a mistake I've often made. So I'm not, I can't give you one specific example of a, maybe a funny mistake I've made, but one thing that I have learned to do, which I haven't done in the past, and to my own cost, is to plan out the process. You know, I remember there's a video I did not too long ago about a glue-up I did. It was the last Kahona made. And I planned that out. I did a couple of dry fits. I planned out the process. I, I went through it, I don't know, four or five, maybe more than that times. And just working out where my hands were going to be, where the clamps were going to be, how, and what a difference it made. The glue-up was so smooth. It went well first time. No mistakes. It was I was so pleased with it. It was great. But so many times I haven't done that. I think it's so important and so beneficial to plan your moves, to to take notes, have a little sketch uh, to write down maybe, or to just go through the moves before you do them, especially on glue-ups. Um, but really, it, it can apply to any sort of cut you're making as well. Just know what you're doing, have a clear focus. It's much safer too. Like whenever I'm using that table saw, I know where my hands are going to be. That's right. And some people think my table saw is quite dangerous. And I guess to, to the average person it is. But I always do um, a few practice mo- motions and I plan out exactly where my fingers are going to be. Like always, I think it's so beneficial. Have a process, plan out your process. I think that's really, and, you know, bring into the scripture what uh, it says, um, what wise man before he builds a tower doesn't sit down and plan it first. Absolutely. Great, great, great verse pull in right there. Let's talk a little bit about how you've uh, chosen to use uh, Instagram and your online presence. Yeah, I'm primarily on Instagram. That's where I started. I do have a Facebook account. I'm not on Facebook very much, to be honest. Um, but Instagram's most main thing, and I see it as a window into 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 my life. Like when I started Instagram, there was no agenda. There was no and if there was nothing I was trying to achieve. It was just to share. I was just sharing stuff. And really, that's where I've tried to keep it. I want to stay that way. But I do very much want to keep the fact that this is me sharing my heart. And it's a window that the world can see a little bit of me. And I can share that into a little bit of the world. And obviously, then is Christ. You know, there is, I think there needs to be a respect to respect the fact that this is a woodworking community, primarily, that I'm part of. Um, And so I try and keep the feed about my woodworking. But where I can show Christ and where I can um, give him glory and uh, lift up his name, then I will take the opportunity. Absolutely. As much as you want to be respectful and, uh, and to not, you know, be overbearing, there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And you don't want to miss an opportunity. Absolutely. Um, but you do want to be clear, Absolutely. you know, and at least remind people that this is a real thing. And uh, I think it's really precious I, I mean yes i want to grow my account yes it's good to see followers and likes that is um it's i mean it's uh, it's humbling or honoring it's a really precious thing to think that this guy he was just making candles in his shed or just making things in his shed you know has grown in this almost two thousand people liking his stuff i mean <laughs> that's amazing and like the community the, the camaraderie the the fun and the friendship that's really precious but I do, I never want to lose sight or forget that I'm just sharing this humble um, heart, this this broken heart that's been restored by uh, uh, the, by the maker, Absolutely. by the one true living maker. You know, I'm just sharing the heart that he's restored. That's really, I really try to keep it. That's really precious to me and important to me. And I do struggle sometimes to keep that balance. But that's that's my primary passion. That's my primary Amen. focus. 
One thing that is definitely clear to me in getting to know you is that you are a follower of Jesus. I mean, it is very apparent in getting to know you that you love him and that he is first and foremost in your life. So before we get any further into kind of what he has done for you and what he teaches you through your craft, would you just describe just briefly about how you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? So I was brought up in a Christian home, and uh, I knew the gospel. Mom and Dad were evangelists, so Dad was preaching the gospel nearly every week. They were doing children's meetings. We were in church all the time, always involved with church. Um, when I was nine, though, a, a guest speaker came to church, and he preached, and he preached on hell that night. Well, he might not have preached on hell, but that's what I picked up. He spoke a lot on hell in there. I remember being scared. And when he gave the testimony, I was like, well, I don't want to go to hell. And I put my hand up. Right. And uh, so I was genuine in a sense, but my reason for putting my hand up was just I didn't want to go to hell. It wasn't because I wanted new birth in Christ or I acknowledged my sin or anything like that. It was just I didn't want to go to hell. And so from that point on in my life, I always look back at when I was nine, I put my hand up in church. You know, that was always, well, I'm saved. I'm fine because I put my hand up one time. It wasn't a born again life. I was very much involved with church and youth groups and Bible studies. Um, and playing music in the church, you know, with the worship and stuff. But I wasn't born again. So I did a lot of my own strength and it got a long way. But because I wasn't born again, it was a, there was always a, like a spiritual thermometer. You'd hear a good sermon and you'd get encouraged and challenged. And you think, oh, I'm going to live for the Lord now. I'm really going to strive to please him. And you get rid of the things that were distractions that you shouldn't have in your life. And that would last a month or if even, right. and then you'd be back to your old ways again. That, that was just my life, and that I thought was normal Christianity, I guess. Until I went to college, life took a, it, was, it became more apparent. So I went into college in, a, in a one sense strong. I was reading my Bible, I was praying, I was really looking for the Lord's will. Um, and it was like a gradual degeneration or degression or whatever the word is, it, <laughs> it became less. When I came into my second year, I'd... I was guess I was with um, with worldly friends and I was wanting to keep up their friendships and I, I guess I didn't feel like I was being pulled into the world but I was that was a gradual thing coming into my third year I had half a year left at college before I got my degree and uh, I realized I wasn't reading my Bible I wasn't praying and I thought at that point I really wanted some of the things that were in the world there was this girl I liked um, I wanted to try the party lifestyle and I thought well if I'm not being good I may as well be bad, which mm. is a stupid thought. It's mm. foolish, but that's what I thought. I'm not saying it was right. And then, so I went back to college and just went off and did anything I wanted to. I went nuts, I guess, and just lived the way I wanted to live and tried everything I wanted to try. Um, that lasted till after college. When I came home from college, then I went, I got work in different places, but I was still living this sort of party lifestyle, doing whatever I wanted to do. Um, and I was a mess, man. And I guess it came, long story short, I came to December 2008. I knew I was just going to be a monster. And that, like, I really was going to be this awful, selfish, uncaring fellow, which I wasn't all my life, you know? Well, not on the surface. And um, it was sort of surprising to me that this was actually a reality that was coming out. But I realized what I was going to be, and I couldn't do anything about it. But always going to church. And I'm so grateful. Mum and Dad would always have us in church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every midweek, you know, always having us around the gospel, always have, always um, believing that we should be, not, not for the religious process of being in church, but because it was important. It says, forsake not the gathering of yourselves. I'm not going into that now, but it, I'm just so glad they did, because when I was at my worst, 
I was always in church, always involved. It was just a part of who I was. I'm so grateful mom and dad did that. So I was still part of church, and the church I was going to, they asked me to be a worship leader. And I went home excited that night and said to mom and dad, you know, they've asked me to be a worship leader. My mom and dad just spoke straight to me and says, Matthew, how can you lead people into the presence of God when you've got these issues in your life? And there, it, there was, you know, it's fair enough, man. There was, it was a heated discussion. It wasn't a, an argument, but it was kind of heated. There was a frustration just in me. Um, I wanted the Lord. I knew God was real. I knew it. I believed the Bible. I knew all that was real. I mean, I, I believed I was saved, but I knew I wasn't right. You know, if I was honest with myself, I knew I was living in sin. Right. I knew I was being selfish and not giving God. I'd had sleepless nights going, if he comes back, I'm not going, <laughs> you know. So I knew I knew I was wrong. Dad said, you need to go home and read 1 John chapter 1. And it just, you know, it was verses that I knew. But the Holy Spirit just really hit my heart with those truths. And it says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And I knew I was, I just knew I was darkness. I knew I was full of darkness. And how could I be in God if I'm full of darkness? It says, um, if you say that you walk in the light but walk in darkness, you're a liar and know not the truth. Well, I was, you know, everybody on the outside would have thought I was a good Christian going to church, being part of the worship, and going to the prayer meetings, but not born again. And so I read 1 John chapter 1 and just was crushed. I knew I was just faced with my sin. But you get to verse 9 and it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And man, I just knew I had to confess. And I really did feel like the prodigal son coming back. And he says, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants. You know, when he left, he says, give me, give me my inheritance. Give me my money. Give it to me. When he comes back, he says, Lord, make me, make me a servant. Make me what you want me to be. And that was what I was. But I knew I really deserved hell. Like, I, I don't just say I really, you know, we all do. And so I really confessed my sin for, uh, for a few hours, just crying out to God to save me and change me. And I did that into the night. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning, and I can't say I felt anything different, but other than this cry was real. It was still there. And I said, well, before I went to work, I said, Lord, if you were standing next to me right now, I said, if Jesus was standing next to me right now, what wouldn't he do? And I went around the house, and I cleaned out all the stuff that Jesus wouldn't do, the drink, the cigarettes, the computer games, the magazines, just the stuff that Jesus wouldn't have done. I got rid of it because that's the life I was after, you know? And then... I didn't feel anything, just I was like, I need, I'd done this so many times in my life, you know, but this time was different. This time there was a real cry. So I I did that. And at lunchtime at work, I was sitting on my own. This cry was just in my heart. And I was going, Lord, you need to touch me. I need you to to fill me. I need you to to help me because I can't do this. I just can't. I've done this so many times, thrown out stuff and then just gone back to my old ways. Lord, if you don't touch me, you know, I'm just going to be back to that monster. And I couldn't really describe what exactly happened, but suddenly I just knew never going back. And it was, it was amazing. Like I just so, I was so filled with joy. Um, and it was just a, a freedom and a liberty. I just, I guess I wasn't thinking all these words at the time. I just was had an excitement, a, a life. This is it. There was a life in me that wasn't there before. Amen. I just knew there was a life in me. I believe at that moment I was born again. Amen. I mean, it's, I'd be careful to, people would say at the moment you cry out, you know, but that's when the life came in, sure. you know, Absolutely. that's when the life came in. I mean, that wasn't there before. I remember grabbing my boss and he should have sacked me three or four times. He was a, a Christian. He was a friend of the family. 
but I had been just nuts and I'd been, t- I'd turned up to work drunk or hung over spewing up at the back behind the greenhouses, you know, I'd, <laughs> it was a mess, you know, but, but, oh man, he was so gracious. Praise God for his goodness and his mercy to put me in that environment, to give me that boss, you know, just to nurture me. And, oh man, he was so good. But I just grabbed James and said, James, look, I'm born again and I know I'm <laughs> never going back. Amen. You know, and it was, yeah, it was precious, man. So precious. Like he's my passion. I want him. And even at this stage of my life, where I'm at right now, with Instagram being sort of a, a main part of my life now, and woodworking being a real passion of mine now, you, I still struggle getting the balance right. And uh, I was just talking to uh, Josh from uh, Luther Woodworks in the, this morning, talking about getting that balance right. It's so important because when we get the balance wrong, you know, it only brings us damage. It only brings me heartache. It only brings me stress. Um, when, when your eyes are down, that's what you see. But when your eyes are up and you see Christ, all these things grow strangely dim. Amen. You, you know that chorus? I'm yes, sure I do. Everybody knows that. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Right. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and Amen. grace. What a, what a wonderful story, man. Thank you so much for sharing your, your testimony and really just the picture of how God's grace has been working and moving in your life. I've got a similar story. I know for an, another time, but I'm just so thankful that God's grace and mercy is extended to us through Jesus and that his word gives us hope and gives us promise that for anyone, as you said, when we confess our sins, to come to him in faith and uh, and really appeal to him for his goodness, his righteousness to be applied to our account, then that's where the salvation, the rebirth really happens, you know? <laughs> Um, there are people that believe that I must seek to do good and fill up a life of good works so that I will be acceptable before God. But that's not how the gospel works, is it? Mm-hmm. No, no, God God accepts us based off of the righteousness of, of Jesus. And so I'm so thankful for promises like in Romans 10 that just very simply says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no distinction. Uh, we confess with our mouth, we believe that he's Lord, and that's really a confession that, Jesus, you are, you are the source of my righteousness, and you are the source of making me new and making me clean. And so what a, what a tremendous privilege to hear about how he's working, not only in, in my life here and in your life there, but all over the world to rescue people, to transfer them out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his light. As a Christian maker... Uh, Tell me a little bit about how your faith plays into your business and the things that you make. You know, part of it is I've tried to find the Lord in everything I do, whether it's gardening, working in a fish factory, um, whether it be woodworking or whatever it is. You can find Christ in everything or you can see him. And sometimes you can see him in your lack, like uh, somebody frust- uh, annoys me at work and I get frustrated and you go, man, you know, you get so frustrated, but look at, you know, a little while later you can go, well, Christ wouldn't have reacted that way, you know, and you can see how beautiful he is. So you'll see my logo is this is this heart that's broken, and then it's restored with those butterflies, you know, so you've seen that technique used in woodwork a lot. And it really is um, me. I remember uh, I, I mentioned earlier in the interview about this hammer that I restored that my father gave me when I was 12. And then shortly after that, there was a few other tools that needed, needed restoring. And it really ministered to me that this tool, when it's broken, is uh, it's disregarded by so many. It's trash to so many. It's worthless and useless to so many. Most people are going to throw it away. And man, I just saw my life. That was me. You know, that, I am that broken tool, that rusty, neglected, rejected, broken tool. But Christ, man, like he takes that thing and he he polishes it, 
he cleans it, he takes his time with it, and he makes that thing beautiful again, and he makes it usable again. You know, and sometimes you take that tool and you can make it more desirable and more beautiful than it was when it was new. But even if it's not, even if it doesn't come out better than new, it's a reusable tool again. And that's a really precious thing. And that really blessed me. And um, I guess going forward with the faith, you know, with my faith in it, not only um, like, you know, I'm building these cajongos now or cajons. And they're made from like new wood. They're not reclaimed wood. But God has taken something that was broken, rejected, you know, nothing. And he's, I'm talking about me now, not the tool. Um, and I can make something. And I want to I wanna put my heart and that heart of like, this is a tool that is purposeful now. This is a tool that can do something. Now. I want to put my heart into that, into that piece and learn and and grow and you know like he's sanding me now he's uh he's chiseling me now he's he's working on me now to make these things what an excellent analogy there about being sanded and transformed that reminds me of a passage there in romans 12 a very familiar uh, verses 2 and 3 which is do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind um and i think that it's very clear that that god's word is the tool by which in He's really transforming us. And I know being in a group with you on Instagram and uh, constantly being uh, in conversations with you, it's not going to be very long that we're talking before you start breaking out in song or quoting scripture. So I can see that the Bible is a, is a, has a very important role in your life. So maybe uh, share just a short perspective about what God's Word is for you and how it, uh, how it molds and transforms you. Like, that's the only way we know truth. Like, I can only know Christ through his word. I can only know truth by that word. And that's why I would, I would always come back to it, because it is a rock. It's a foundation. Although, if I'm not um, focused on his word, then I'm, as a proverb says, I'm leaning on my own understanding. And that's always a disaster. You yeah. know, like I've done so many times, um, leaned on my own understanding, and uh, I guess Another passage would say you worship a God of your own imagination. You know, you might call him the God of the Bible, but it's not actually, you're not worshiping as, it, as for who he is. Um, so, yeah, I've done that so many times, and I, I really have a heart to find truth. You know, before I was born again, I could talk about doctrine. I could talk about theology to men older than me, wiser than me. I'm not saying I was knowledgeable, but I could talk these things through. I was familiar with them. I knew them. When I was born again, I was like, Lord, let me put all that out the window. Lord, let me, you, you show me what truth is. You teach me truth. And you know, truth is Christ. You know, it's a relationship. It's an intimacy with himself. And there's truth in his word. And I have, I have a desire to find him. Like even in my woodworking, he was a carpenter. Like what, if he was making the cajon, if he was making a candle holder, if he was working with this piece of wood, what would his heart be? How would he hold that piece of wood? Would he, you know, I'm not saying we put too much attention on it, but that tool, I, my heart, I almost care for that tool as if it was me or a broken person or a wounded person. Cause I'm trying to see, this is how we can, you can see more of Christ, you know, and how he cares for us. And then once you've learned that lesson, you can apply it to people. It becomes a more visual aid, if you like. Without, without that word of God, I can't know Christ. I can't know these precious truths. I can't know the, his long suffering. I can't know his, the depths of his love. I can't, 
know the magnitude of his mercy, how he's, you know, because those patterns are set in scripture, how he dealt with his people time and time and again. If you don't know that, you can't know him. If you don't know how much he hates sin, then you don't really know him. If you don't know the depravity of man, of your own sin, then you don't really know him. It's one thing to say, you know, because we, we can all be guilty at times of when we talk about sin, just talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or, you know, addictions and things. But, you know, Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray, every man to his own way. Sin isn't sex outside of marriage, drugs, and addictions. You know, those are fruits of sin. But sin is just going your own way. And God hates it. You know, that's rebellion. You know, and sin can look so good. It can look so religious, so fine. It can look so godly. But it's not, you know, and it's um, without his word, we don't know those precious truths that will keep us and guide us. Amen. Amen. I, I'm reminded of scripture as well that talks about scripture being profitable for teaching and correcting and training us in godliness. So it's, it is the method and the source by which we come to know truth and come to live out that truth and be transformed in our minds. What about your uh, favorite scripture passage and why? Oh, man. That's hard too. Um, I guess for the longest time, I loved Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. I've got it here. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. So if you're not familiar with Hosea, um, Hosea had to marry, we didn't have to, but um, he married a, a harlot. So he married a woman who sold herself and she would have been the lowest of society. Um, but if you read that, properly it's not just to marry her like he like it was a, a chore but he it he was told to go and love a woman you know so he 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 fell in love with this woman and he gave himself to this woman who many would say was undeserving who was the rejected who was the outcast who was unworthy he was neglected who was you know you wouldn't want to touch that but he loved this woman and he gave her a home and he gave her food and he gave her protection and safety he gave himself to this woman um, and he enjoyed in this woman and they had children together they had a family and a home together and it was a precious beautiful thing but she runs off and she leaves it and goes back to her old lifestyle. Man, and Leo, you, you, we haven't got time, but if you talk about the, if you think about it, you know, this is a real man. He's got pain. He's got hurt. But he goes after and goes, you know, he goes after this woman again. And I love this verse there. It says, this is God speaking now. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. Well, if you talk about fishing, you know what allure is, L-U-R-E, allure. Yes, you know, that's, you, just, you fire that into the water and it lures the fish. You know, well, it says, I will allure her. That, that meaning is, I'll be the bait. I'll make myself attractive to her. I'll go and win her heart again. Not just I'll bring her back and say, hey, look, you've got responsibilities. You've got children to bring up. You've got a husband to look after. You've got a home to be in. No, he'll go and he'll take the time the patience, the care, to make her fall in love with him again. Oh, man, like that's so different. And then you read on down, it'll be on that day, saith the Lord, that you shall call me Ishi and no more Bali. And Ishi means uh, husband, lover, partner. Well, more than partner, but lover. Like you should call me Ishi. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, I love you rather than Bali, which is master. You know, he doesn't want to be called master. He wants to be called lover. He wants to be called husband. And so that... I love any scripture that's to do with the love of God. 
uh, or that's to do with when you really search the heart of a man. Why did he do that? It's because he loved the Lord. You can see that with Cain and Abel um, when you study that too. But anything to do with the love of God. I loved Hosea chapter 2 for the longest time. Um, it's hard to pick out a favorite though out of right. all the others. <laughs> it's so hard. Well, wrapping up just a little bit, as I've come to know you, Matthew, I've, I've learned that um, you've encountered some tragedy. And so would you tell us a little bit about that tragedy and um, how the Lord has held you through it and really the hope that you hold on to in the midst of that? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, in, I had two sisters. Um, I was the firstborn. Dawn Joy was the secondborn. She was 18 months younger than me. And Leah... She's the youngest. She's six years younger than me. Well, um, in 2006, Dornjoy passed away. Mm. And uh, it was very sudden. Um, she had suffered with nosebleeds through her life, but they weren't too regular. But in 2007, they, uh, they got a little more consistent. And then she had a few spasms. There were three different events where she had like spasms or, or attacks, something like that. So on the third one, they knew, like, this is definitely an issue. So they went to the doctors, and the doctor says, do you have a brain tumor? It's malignant, it's pretty big, it's serious. And um, so, that, yeah, that, that changed things dramatically at that point. And uh, we kind of thought, well, we know her life expectancy is going to be a lot less. We were thinking at the worst three years, maybe 10, or something like that. That's what I remember. I could be wrong, but yeah. We weren't expecting it to be, nobody was expecting it to be within a month. That was a shock. And uh, mom and dad went over to be with her. They were actually over there for a tent meeting, in fact, which Dondre was a part of. And she actually gave her testimony in that tent mission. And it was recorded, praise the Lord. Obviously, nobody really knew what was happening at that point, but she happened to be recorded. Wow. And then within a couple of weeks, she had passed away. And wow. uh, so it's really precious to have that, uh, re- that recording, that testimony recorded. It's very precious. And obviously that was a huge hit to the family that uh, changed so much. And that um, I lost a close friend. I lost, I lost a best friend. But mom and dad, they lost their door. And I'll have no idea what that's like, you know. But, you know, it was harder for them. But they have the greater testimony in this. I, at that time when Dorje passed away, I wasn't born again. Mom and dad were born again. And just to see their trust in the Lord, their dependency on him, uh, they cast themselves upon him. And he did comfort them. He did sustain them. He did meet every need. You know, of course, there was tears. Like, there was tears. Dad will confess, like, you know, for the following years, there's tears nearly every day for the door, you know. And I, again, I, I say again, I can't imagine what that was like, but God undertook. And there's a song um, that really has blessed our family. Mum and Dad heard it shortly after Dorje passed away, and it really touched their hearts. And it, the chorus goes, it's sung by the Collingsworth family. But the chorus goes, I can trust Jesus. I can trust Jesus. Here, 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 look, I'm not very good, but. I can trust Jesus. I can trust Jesus. He never once has failed to meet my needs. He is my strong tower. The strength in my weakest hour, I can trust Jesus, he takes care of me. And that's really been a blessing to our family. Like, you know, um, even the verses are really precious, but it doesn't matter 
what we go through. With Christ in the vessel, you can smile at the storm. Or um, my dad often says when he's preaching, two men looked through prison bars. One saw mud, one saw stars. Mm. You know, this where your perspective is. You know, you, right. it doesn't matter your situation. You can you can look on Christ and have hope and joy and freedom. And so often then, if we get distracted, too much time woodworking, too much time Instagram, too much time whatever it is, it's mud you see at the end of the day. But when we stay close to Christ, keep our eyes on those stars, then with, with Christ in the vessel, then we can smile at the storm. You know, man. we can keep that joy, Amen, keep that brother. soul, man. Amen. What a story, man. And, and I know that suffering and, and, and death and disease is something that we all experience in some form or fashion because of sin and its effects on the world. But what a great Savior who's come to conquer death and to provide that hope uh, of future resurrection for those who have faith and trust in Him. So I'm so happy to see and hear that in the midst of your loss that you are holding fast in faith. Uh, to the one who will raise all uh, to meet him in the end. I'm really, really grateful for you, like seriously grateful for you. I just, I think that others will be inspired by your story, by your testimony, by just the image of hope in the midst of uh, of tragedy, and just the practicals of how you integrate your faith and woodworking along the way. So I'm thankful for you taking the time to speak with us and help me get this thing launched. No problem, bro. Honestly, as I said before, it's an it is really an honor to share my faith, you know. And so, yeah, I, I um, give him all the praise and the glory for any good in my life. Thank you for taking the time to listen to today's conversation. I pray that Matthew's story has been an encouragement and a challenge to you. I invite you to follow along with Matthew's journey at Tender Level Care on Instagram. And reach out to him directly if you would like to know more about what he does and why he does it. Also, if you would like to know more about the hope and joy that we've both found in Christ, then please reach out to Matthew or myself as we would love to share more in detail. You can also watch a short animated film that explains this good news of the gospel at www.thestoryfilm.com. Again, thanks for dropping by. Until next time, let me leave you with this encouraging verse from 1 Peter 3.15, which says, But in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you.